All righty, good to see everybody, amen? amen? Praise the Lord. I'm glad God's still on the throne, and uh, he hasn't lost any power at all, and uh, nothing has taken him by surprise. I'm glad I'm on his side, and he's on my side, amen? amen. The psalmist said back here, I'm, uh, I'm glad God is for me. He said, God is for me. Psalms 56 over there, but uh, good to be back tonight. Let's turn, if you would, to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Those of you that would like to stand, you can go ahead and stand. Your pastor, I'll tell you what, if he takes me to another buffet, I don't know what I'm going to do. I got in here yesterday, took me over to the lighthouse. And then he took me over to the windmill today. And uh, when I got here yesterday, I was just a skinny little preacher. Now look at me. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Brother Prophet's looking at me like I'm lying. <laughs> Amen. Amen. We're pleased to have him, have him next month there, end of October. Uh, for a meeting Monday through Friday. We've had him the last couple of years, and people really enjoy his preaching. So, Daniel chapter 2, we'll begin reading there. <coughs> Excuse me, verse 19. <coughs> Daniel 2:19. <coughs> then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons, he removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things, he knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hast given me wisdom and might and hast made known unto me now what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went in unto Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. <coughs> he went and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah, that will make known unto the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen, and the interpretation thereof? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets, and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into, my, into thy mind upon thy bed, what should come to pass hereafter. And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living. 
but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for each one here this evening, Lord, and we thank you, God, for the great service this morning, God, but tonight is another service. We pray, Father, that you'll have your perfect will in each and every heart and life. Father, I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit, help me to say exactly what you'd have me to say tonight. I realize that I'm absolutely nothing without you. I pray that you'll have your will through me tonight. Help me to say something that'd be a blessing and encouragement to these folks, this church, Lord, and and, uh, Father, we just thank you for their faithfulness through the years, and we pray, God, that you'll have your will in each and every heart and life. Save that lost soul that might be here tonight. Have your will, we pray in Jesus' name, and amen. Amen. You may be seated. Here in Daniel chapter 2 is the story of the uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. He uh, dreams a dream, it says in verse 1 of the chapter, and uh, his spirit's troubled, his sleep break from him, he can't sleep. And so he calls in verse 2 the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans and all these people to show him what his dream was and what it means. And to make a long story short, without going and reading all these verses here, uh, they could not do it. So they call in Daniel. And Daniel tells him that, he says, I can't do it. But he says in verse 28, but there is a God in heaven. And God shows Daniel what the uh, dream is. And he goes through the rest of the chapter here, Daniel does, and tells the king... Uh, what exactly the dream is and what it means and so forth. But I want to preach in verse 28 there. But there is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven. I want to say first of all tonight that, you know, a lot of people don't believe that there's a God in heaven, but I believe there's God in heaven. Amen. Not only is he in heaven, but he's here tonight. Amen. He's he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. And uh, an all-knowing God, an all-present God. He's omnipotent, all-powerful God. Well, I thank God for that. Amen. I want to say, first of all, there's a God in heaven who has sentenced every person to hell. Sentenced every person to hell. In Proverbs 16.10, the Bible says a divine sentence is in the lips of a king. A divine sentence is in the lips of a king. Now, a sentence means in law a judgment pronounced by a court or judge upon a criminal, a judicial decision publicly and officially declared in a criminal prosecution. In technical language, sentence is used only for the declaration of judgment against one convicted of a crime. In civil cases, the decision of a court is called a judgment. In criminal cases, sentence is a judgment pronounced. It's doom. We were doomed before we got saved. It's to condemn, to doom to punishment. We aren't waiting to see what our sentence is going to be. We have already been sentenced. From the time you're born, uh, you are sentenced. There is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3 Verse 10 and 23. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, 
because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, <coughs> excuse me, in John 3, 17 and 18. Ecclesiastes 7.20, There is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. There is a God in heaven who has sentenced every person to hell. Secondly, thank God, here's the good news. There's a God in heaven who sacrificed himself for you and I. 1 Corinthians 5.7, For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. 1 John 2.2, And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Think of the blood of Jesus Christ. My blood couldn't save a dead skunk. But His blood is powerful enough to wash away everybody's sins. He sacrificed Himself for you and I. 1 Peter 2.21 Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. He's the just and we're the unjust. That He might bring us to God, <clears throat> being put to death in the flesh but quickened by the Spirit. I read this. David Livingston was a missionary to Africa. <clears throat> Excuse me. He, he's a... He came back from Africa and his whole, I think it was his right arm, he almost got it torn off, ripped off by a lion over there. And uh, he was speaking there in some, several different places and everything. His, his arm would just hang down there like this. And uh, he almost got killed on n- numerous occasions. But he said this, he said, People talk of the sacrifice I've made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice which is simply paid back as a small part of the great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? Is that a sacrifice, he says, which brings its own reward of a healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with such a word, Livingston said, such a view and such a thought. He said, it's emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall hereafter be revealed in and for us. He said, I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not to talk when we remember the great sacrifice which he made who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. David Livingston. (coughs) This poem says the cross was his own. They borrowed a bed to lay his head when Christ the Lord came down. They borrowed an ass in the mountain pass for him to ride to town. But the cross that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own. The cross was his own. He borrowed the bread when the crowd he fed on the grassy mountainside. He borrowed the dish of broken fish with which he satisfied. But the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own. The cross was his own. He borrowed a room on his way to the tomb, the Passover lamb to eat. They borrowed a cave for him a grave. They borrowed a a winding sheet. But the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore 
were his own, the cross was his own. There's a God in heaven. He has sentenced every human being to hell when they're born. We're born in sin. But thank God, number two, there's a God in heaven who sacrificed himself for you and I. Number three, there's a God in heaven who sees and knows everything we do. Hebrews 4.13 Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Job 34, verse 21 and 22 For his eyes are upon the ways of man, and he seeth all his goings. There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. People think if they go into a bar and it's barely lit up in there, and... uh, People think if they get somewhere where it's halfway dark and they do their sinning and so forth, that God can't see them, but God sees everything. Amen. John 1, 48, Nathaniel asked Jesus Christ, Whence knowest thou me? When did you know me, Jesus? <coughs> Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. You know what Jesus said to Nathaniel? He said, Nathaniel, before Philip ever called you, I saw you. I saw you. Amen. Gatlinburg is a little ways from here. It's a tourist city buried deep in the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. This city of a couple thousand inhabitants all but rolls up sidewalks in the winter, but it's, it comes alive in the summer. In and around Gatlinburg are many beautiful scenes and many rolls of film are used in those parts. But the most photographed site in Gatlinburg is the sculptured head of Christ. I think they still have it there. In the Christus Gardens, this breathtaking marble figure of Christ is sculptured in such a way that the eyes appear to look in every direction. Regardless of where you stand, the eyes are upon you. Boy, aren't you glad we got a Savior who watches over us? His eye is on the sparrow. Amen. There's a God in heaven who sees and knows everything we do. An ill-prepared college student was taking an, an economics exam just before Christmas vacation. And he wrote on his paper, sarcastically, Only God knows the answer to these questions. Merry Christmas. <clears throat> the professor graded the papers and wrote this note back to the student. He said, God gets a hundred, you get a zero. Happy New Year. We serve a God that sees and knows everything. Amen. Proverbs 15, 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Number four, there's a God in heaven who will save your soul from hell. I'm glad the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 6, 37, Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish. There goes hyper-Calvinism. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. Revelation 22, 17. <coughs> Speaking of hyper-Calvinism, I got, had a man in my church... <clears throat> excuse me, 
And uh, he had, he'd, uh, make a long story short, he'd heard, he was out of church for 30 years. He was my age. And he'd been out of church, he got saved in the 80s. And he got out of church for 30 years. And he happened to hear one of our radio stations. <coughs> and uh, he was in, tinkling around in his garage on Sunday morning. And uh, he listened to the radio and I came on. And I started talking about the King James Bible and stuff. And he said, man, I got to go to that church. Him and his wife started coming to our church. Been coming about three years. Faithful. Comes to men's prayer meetings Sunday night for the service. And I mean, services and everything. But he taught a couple times. And there was a couple red flags that went up when he was teaching. I, I thought, this guy's a hyper-Calvinist. He's a hyper-Calvinist. And uh, so anyways... Uh, I started teaching Romans here a while back, and I got through Romans 9, Romans 11, about election and <coughs> different things. And here, a couple, six, seven weeks ago, he, I was in, 10 minutes into my message on Sunday night. He got, he got up, he sat about halfway back. He got up and walked out right in front of half the church. And uh, people are asking me, what, what happened to Mark? What's wrong with him? And I said, I, I didn't want to explain to everybody. I said, I, I said, I don't know, just pray for him. And uh, <clears throat> so he, he didn't come back, and I texted him and said, we missed you, and he'd come back. And so then he got into, he started asking me questions about hyper-Calvinism in front of everybody on Sunday night. And it wasn't a thing where he was asking to learn. It was a thing where he, and I love him, I, you know, I hope he gets straightened around, but it was, th- it was a thing where he was asking to kind of maybe try to show me up in front of the congregation which he did not do. And uh, I said, Brother Mark, I said, I mean, we've talked for like 15 minutes. And everybody's listening. Nobody's saying a word. You can hear a pin drop. And I said, Brother Mark, I look right back at him. I said, Brother Mark, let me ask you something. I said, if we don't have a will to repent, why does it say whosoever will? And you will not come unto me that you might have life. And I quoted three or four verses. Not only that, I said, why does the Bible command us to repent? In several places, if we're not able to repent, we're so totally depraved. He said, well, aren't we totally depraved? I said, we are depraved, but not. it doesn't extend to the will. You have a will. <clears throat> you can do whatever you want to do. But you have to pay for it. Whatever you sow, you know, in the flesh, you reap. So we're not robots. And I said, Brother Mark, I said, why would God tell us to repent if we're not able to repent? His face turned blood red, and he goes, well, I don't know how the answer to that, but he went to another verse. That's what all the people do that are trying to teach, you know, false doctrine. And uh, the baptismal regeneration people, you pin them down there, you pin them down there, they hop to another verse. What about that verse over there? And you pin them down there, you get that straightened out. They say, what about that verse? What about that verse? And uh, something I learned about that and I'm not trying to be mean towards him or towards anybody that has false doctrine or false religion. Do you know what the Bible says? I just, I'm just mentioning this in this fourth point here. That there's a God in heaven who will save your soul from hell. Do you realize that when you teach that hyper-Calvinistic stuff, that basically you are perverting the plan of salvation? You're taking away the responsibility of the human being. How can God... How can the Lord damn a soul in the great white throne judgment cast them into a lake of fire if they didn't have a will? You see? Here's the deal on that. Whenever a person gets involved 
in false doctrine as a child of God or an unsaved person in a false religion. <clears throat> now, there are some innocent casualties. I'm not saying everybody's like this, but there are some people who have just been taught wrong and they're open to the truth and they hear the truth, they accept it and they get right. Okay, so I'm not saying, those, that's fine. But a lot of these people, they're blinded by sin. Let me give you the verses to prove it. Titus 3, 10 and 11. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition, reject. Amen. Yeah. Only witness to him once or twice after the first and second admonition. Two times and you're, that's all you're entitled to have to do. Amen. After the first and second admonition, reject. Knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth. And sinneth, being condemned of himself. Sin is what blinds people's eyes. The reason why that person wants to trust in their works, their baptism, there's a self-righteous religious... They're not all just a bunch of deceived people that are just ignorant of the plan of salvation. They just don't know any better. Some are like that. But a lot of them, they want to die and go to hell because they believe that there's some good in them and that they can do something to get their soul to heaven. It's part of our Adamic nature. That's why Paul called it the offense of the gospel in Galatians 5 and 6. You want to know what the offense of the gospel is? When you tell somebody that the very best they can do will land them in a lake of fire, you might as well just smack them right in the face. Especially self-righteous, upstanding, religious type people. Because they believe they're pretty good. And you're telling them there is nothing they can do to get themselves to heaven. He that is such is subverted. And sinneth, being condemned of himself. What's, what, what blinds people? Sin. So a lot, of those, a lot of these people out here, some are innocent casually. Some have been brought up in a religion or a false cult, and they just don't know any better. They've never heard truth, and you've got to get the gospel to them, and maybe they'll accept it. But when they don't accept it, it's because of sin. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, because men love darkness rather than light. Man chooses darkness rather than light. It's in our nature. You ever wonder why sometimes it's so hard to do right and so, uh, so easy to do wrong and so hard to do right sometimes? Because you and I are born wrong. Amen. I'm talking about every human being. Amen. We're born wrong. And what you, we, we lean towards sin. We just naturally lean, lean towards it. You, you say, what helps you stand straight back up? Staying in church. Hearing, preaching, and teaching of the Word of God, having a prayer life, witnessing, living a dedicated Christian life, that helps you to lean back to where you're supposed to be. So a lot of this false doctrine stuff, these people are blinded by sin, and they want to believe that. How do people sit in a kingdom hall and don't believe in a literal hell when Jesus spoke more about hell than heaven? Because that's what they choose in their heart. We got a guy that just started coming to our church. <coughs> him and his wife. I didn't know it until, well, last week. They'd just been coming about a month. He used to be a staunch Jehovah's Witness. He was in it big time, him and his family and everything. His family disowned him after he got saved and born again. Him and his wife, Debbie, they got two daughters that are both married to pastors, pastor in the state of Ohio up there in different towns, and uh, good people. But Brother Bill there, he told me, he said, he said, I was a Jehovah's Witness. He said, I believe that stuff. 
he said, and then his wife, he ended up being his wife, of course, they've been married for 30 years. And uh, he said, uh, he said, Debbie started talking to me about the Lord and stuff. And man, I just seen what I was in was wrong. Now, see, there's a guy that heard truth and opened up his heart. But a lot of these people, not all, but a lot of these people, they're blinded by their own sin of self-righteousness. or what, If a Christian gets messed up in a lot of these false teachings and stuff, a lot of times it's due to sin. He said, Titus 3, 10, and 11, a man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition, reject. Knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. There's sin involved somewhere there. When you have that false doctrine and stuff, there's, it might not be wicked sin, murder and rape and adultery or something, but it might be just self-righteousness. Wanting to hang on to their own good works and their own you know, self-esteem or whatever they think is going to give them to heaven. There's a God in heaven who will save your soul from hell. Amen. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12 This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, Paul said, of whom I am chief. 1 Timothy 1.15 Boy, thank God for Jesus. Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. 1 Timothy 2.6 1 Timothy 2.4 Who will have all men to be saved. There goes hyper-Calvinism out the door. Who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. By the way, Mark ended up leaving the church. And he's going to a hyper-Calvinist church. Pray for him. Him and his wife, they're good people. Just, there's just different things involved there. But uh, there's a God in heaven who will save your soul from hell. Amen. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Hebrews 7.25. In his autobiography, Colonel Harlan Sanders. You probably heard of him, haven't you? Best friend? Did, did he tie to this church where he died? He founded KFC. He says that he was always a God-fearing man. In every venture, he gave God a tenth of the prophets. wonder what church that was. Yet he knew that if he died, God probably wouldn't take him to heaven. Worried, he traveled to Australia to a special church convention for the answer. He didn't find it. One day, Sanders was walking down a street in Louisville, Kentucky, when Reverend Wayman Rogers of Louisville's Evangel, Evangel Temp- Tabernacle invited him to some evangelistic services. This is, of course, many years ago. Several days later, Sanders went. <clears throat> At age 79... He claimed the promise of Romans 10, 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Sanders said this. He said, when I walked out of that church that night, I knew I was a different man. All my tithing, he said, in good deeds had never given me the sense of God's presence that I knew then. Not too many people get saved at 79. By that time, they're pretty well set in their ways. 
Ty Cobb, that all-time great baseball player who played 3,033 games and for 12 years led the American League in batting average. For four years, he batted over 400. Ty Cobb on his deathbed, July 17, 1961, he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. He said, you tell the boys I'm sorry. It was the last part of the ninth inning that I came to know Christ. I wish it had, it had taken place in the first half of the first inning. You know what he was saying? I wish I'd have got saved at a young age. At the beginning of my life. Ty Cobb. There's a God in heaven who will save your soul. Number five, there's a God who, in heaven who will secure you after you get saved. Amen. 2 Timothy 1.12, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Amen. Philippians 1.6, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. When Jesus says you'll never perish, guess what? You're never going to perish. Amen? He said he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes him should not perish. John 3, 16. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. John 10, 27 to 30. You know what the next verse says? 31, they picked up stones to throw them at him. Two reasons. Number one, they got mad. The Pharisees, it drew them crazy. They just went nuts when he said, I and my Father are one. Because they thought they were somebody. Here's this 30, 33-year-old young man walking around. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. Imagine me standing up here saying this. Hey, imagine me saying this. For without me, you can't do nothing. John 15, 5. Imagine. He could say that because he was God. Whoa! We ought to shout and run the aisles. He never blinked an eyeball. He wasn't embarrassed. He, he didn't say it and say... Well, I, I hope you're not offended by that. <laughs> when people fell down to worship him, he never told them to get up. Because he's God. Imagine being around somebody like that 2,000 years ago on this earth. Can you, you ever stop thinking about this? Right, let me throw this in here. You, you, you know all the miracles that he does there in the Gospels? And all the thousands of people he fed? And all the, you think every one of them people got saved? Why, probably not. There's probably a lot of people that saw him do miracles and still rejected him. Imagine that. Imagine. I mean, not everybody that was there in his public hearing there in the Gospels, not every single person got saved. There's a lot of people that saw him feed the multitudes with the fishes and feed these people and do this and heal the sick and raise the people from dead and do all these great things and still rejected him. What a terrible thing. There's a God in heaven who will secure you after you get saved. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. 1 Thessalonians 
to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, 1 Peter 1, 4 and 5. There's a God in heaven who will secure you after you get saved. I've worried about a lot of things since I've been saved, but I've never worried for five seconds about losing my salvation. You say, who you think you are? I'm nothing. But he's everything. In a Scottish village lived a physician, a doctor, noted for his skill and piety. After his death, his ledger was examined and it was discovered that across many of the old accounts, he had written in red ink, forgiven, too poor to pay. His widow was of a different disposition. And she brought suit against these creditors of her husband, demanding payment. She wanted the money. The judge asked her, he said, Is this your husband? Is this your husband's handwriting in red? She admitted it was, and then the judge said, Then there is not a court in the land that can collect money of these accounts over which he has written, Forgiven. I'm glad I got that written over my account. Amen. The old account was settled long ago. Amen. Praise God. There's a God in heaven who secures you after you get saved. Next, I want to say this. There's a God in heaven who speaks to his children. I'm glad that God still speaks to us. I'm not talking about this charismatic stuff and all that. But if you will walk with God, God will speak to you. Now you say, yeah, God speaks to me through his word. He speaks to me through his word. But there's times I don't have a Bible with me and I'll be driving my vehicle and God will speak, the Holy Spirit will speak to my heart about things. And there's time, a lot of times we get the impression that the only time God can speak to you is through his word. There's time God speaks to me when I'm down, kneeling down and praying, when I'm driving in my truck, when I'm here, I'm there, whatever. God can speak to you and to your heart. Exodus 33, 11. <clears throat> And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. God spoke to Paul on the ship in Acts 27, 24. Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. That ship, it got, I mean, it was almost sank and it was broken in pieces, but everybody escaped to shore alive because of one man. You might be the salvation for your family in the sense of you witnessing. You might be the only person in your family or neighborhood that gets the gospel to them. Acts 10, 19, while Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. I'm glad there's a God in heaven that speaks to his children. Then this, I want to say this. There's a God in heaven who can still the storms in your life. Nahum 1.3 The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Now God might not take away. We sometimes give the impression that God will just wipe away all your storms and problems. A lot of times he doesn't. But he gives us the grace, the strength and the power to get through them. There's a God in heaven who supplies your every need. Philippians 4.19 But my God shall supply all your need 
according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. You know, God showed me something about that. In Acts 20, 35, it says that Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19, you put that with Acts 20.35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You want to know why it's more blessed to give than to receive? Think about this. If I supply your need, brother, all you're going to get is what I've got out of my resources. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, you say, well, if you supply his need, that's all he wants. Yes, but all he can get, he's, there's a limit to my resources. But with God... There's no limit to his resources. It is more blessed to give. Jesus said that is more blessed to give than to receive because when the person that gives is going to draw out of God's resources. Woo! Hallelujah! I mean, if I supply this brother's needs, all he's got is my resources to draw from. But when, you, when you're a giver, it is more blessed to give than to receive because when you give, you're going to draw out of God's riches amen. and his resources. We ought to shout and take a 15-minute recess and shout and run the aisles. Amen. There's a God in heaven who supplies your every need. In Exodus, God provided and supplied the children of Israel with manna. Second Kings 4, 1-7, God supplied the widow woman with vessels of oil to pay her debt and live off of the rest. In John 6, 1-14, the Lord supplied enough food, fishes and barley loaves from the lad for thousands of people to eat and there were leftovers. I wonder how many people saw that in John 6. I wonder how many of them got saved. Were there any that rejected Christ after they saw that great miracle? Probably. I don't think every single one of them got saved there. Thousands. Think of that. Think of them standing at the great white throne judgment and the God saying, Oh, hey, I, I remember you. You were, when that young lad gave me the five barley loaves and two small fishes, you were one of the ones in that crowd of probably eight to 10,000 people, men, women, besides children and men and women. And you, you were probably eight to 10,000 souls and, uh, and sitting in the grass out there. And weren't you one of them? Weren't you one of them? Weren't you one of them? You seen me do that miracle and you rejected me? about them apples think about that now when I speak about supplying your every need we usually think of financial but I'm not just talking about financial I'm talking about physical spiritual and even emotional especially the last six months there are people Christian people that have had some real anxiety panic type things it's nothing to make light of there are people that really uh, that have really got some real f- fear about. Now, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind, 2 Timothy 1.7. But I want to tell you something. God will help you even with emotional things. Corey Ten Boom was put in prison for helping the Jews during World War II. And she led the prison guard who persecuted her to the Lord. And she said, once while we were on roll call, a cruel guard kept us standing for a long time. She said, suddenly a skylark 
began to sing in the sky. And all the prisoners looked up to listen to that bird's song. She said, as I looked at the bird, I saw the sky. I thought of Psalms 103.11. For as the heaven is high above the earth, she said, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. She said, God sent that skylark daily for three weeks, exactly during roll call, to turn our eyes away from the cruelty of men to the ocean of His love. Three weeks in a row. Because that's just a little minor thing. That doesn't mean anything. It meant something to Corey Ten Boom. In the situation she was in. You've heard of Joni Erickson Tata. In 1967, at the age of 17, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay and she broke her neck. Since then, she's been a quadriplegic, confined to life in a wheelchair. She has a ministry. Some of you probably heard of her. She has different things she's done through the years. As a result of her books, Joni has received thousands and thousands of letters from readers who identified with her bouts of depression, despair, and loneliness. Letters from hurting people all over the world. She said this one day, and I'll close with this. She said, I glanced at the bird feeder and smiled. I could understand Jesus noticing if an eagle or a falcon or a hawk fell to the ground. Those are the important birds that he created, the kind worth attending to. But a scrappy sparrow? There are a dime a dozen. Jesus said so himself. Yet from thousands of bird species, the Lord chose the most insignificant least noticed, scuffiest bird of all, sparrow. A pint-sized thing that even dedicated bird watchers ignore. She said, that thought alone calmed my fears. I felt significant and noticed because she said, if God takes note of each humble sparrow, who they are, where they are, and what they're doing, I know that he keeps tab on me. Keeps tabs on me. Daniel said, I can't come up with the interpretation of your dreams, king. But there's a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven that sentenced every person to hell, that sacrificed himself on the cross for you and I, who sees and knows everything. There's a God in heaven who will save you. He'll save your soul from hell. You might have some worries here tonight and some concerns, but if you're saved... If you knew what was waiting on you in heaven, you'd do cartwheels right down the middle aisle of this church right here. If you're able to do cartwheels. There's a God in heaven who secures you. Thank God. I'm saved and secured by the power of God. There's a God in heaven who speaks to his children. 
who stills the storms in our life. Amen. Who supplies your every need. And let me, say, let me give you this last. There's a God in heaven who is soon coming back. Woo! The, the, the coming of the Lord, it's a comforting hope, a challenging hope, and a cleansing hope. It's a comforting hope. Paul talked about the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. See, we have hope. Unsaved people don't have any hope. Let me tell you something, folks. I've preached a lot of funerals, and I know your pastor has, and there's some of the folks were unsaved, and a lot of them were saved, and there is a difference between an unsaved funeral and a saved funeral. There's a difference. As others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Lord must believe in shouting. Woohoo! Shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort. It's comforting. People teach we're going through the tribulation. That isn't comforting. Wherefore, comforting. Comfort one another with these words. It's a comforting hope. It's a challenging hope. Titus 2, 12 and 13. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God. The, Paul says, the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What a God. And then it's a cleansing hope. 1 John 3.1 Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath his hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. 1 John 3, 1 to 3. There's a God in heaven who is soon coming back. Let me just give you this and I'll be done. Years ago, the Holiday Inn had planned to erect a hotel at the Mount of Olives. On the Mount of Olives. They sent a group of engineers to prepare for the building of the hotel. After some investigation, they said it could not be done. There is a geological fault under the mount which is causing it to split. You ever read Zechariah 14? Woo! Hallelujah. What a Savior. There's a God in heaven. Man, a lot of people don't believe in Him. But I'll tell you what, I do. I know He's real. Amen. And I thank God for our Savior Jesus. Amen. Let's stand if you would.